Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Hazardine, founder of MedWorld, and today I'm interviewing Dr. Tani Bridson. Now, Tani was recently awarded the 2022 Queensland Young Australian of the Year for her work as founder of Hand in Hand Peer Support, which is a free and confidential peer support uh, network or um, program for health workers in Australia and in New Zealand. I'm obviously something that we, you know, going through a pandemic, you know, need now more than ever. Um, it fosters a culture in the medical profession in which mental health is valued and can and help can be sought without fear or shame. Again, you know, a, a shift in culture that we, we so need. Tani's a psychiatry registrar and she's passionate about improving the well-being of doctors and of medical students. So it's really great to be here and uh, be talking to her. So welcome, Tani. Thank you very much for having me. Absolute pleasure. Look, let's uh, before we get into talking about hand in hand um, peer support, which is you know such an amazing initiative, and, and and firstly congratulations as well for you know Queensland Young Australian of the Year. Um, I'd love to know first a little bit about you and and why you chose this profession. Why did you choose to become a doctor? It's <laughs> a good question. Um, I think I grew up well. I mean, growing up in a small country town um, in far north Queensland. Um, both of my parents um, came from backgrounds where they didn't get to finish school. So my dad was from the bush bush um, and grew up on like a cattle station. And then my mum was an immigrant from Italy. So she came to Australia not speaking a word of English and her parents not speaking a word of English and then um, obviously went to an all English speaking school and, you know, had a lot of it's something I guess we don't really think of, but there was a lot of sort of racism towards the Italians and the Greeks and the Spanish back in the 60s and 70s when they came over. Um, and so she never finished high school. My dad never finished high school. And, um, but obviously, you know, they would have liked to have done that kind of thing. Um, and when I went to school, I went to the same high school that they did. And um, I guess everyone in that town kind of knows everyone. And so having two parents who didn't, you know, get to have a complete education and who hadn't gone to university often meant that there was a lot of this kind of idea from people that you wouldn't be able to achieve anything or you wouldn't, you know, you weren't the kind of person who was smart enough to finish high school or, you know, do well at school or have a academic or university career. And I guess I, I really kind of fought against that it took its toll but I really wanted to I guess prove that I I could do something and you know that um, kind of fight that stigma that my parents had gone through and that I'd also gone through as a kid and I ended up doing you know despite all odds doing well at school and um, I guess there's this kind of thing that if you do well at school um, people sort of think that you'll be like a doctor or a lawyer or you know, something along those lines. So initially, I don't think I was 100% set on medicine. I think I just had in my brain that because I'd done well, that was sort of maybe what I had to do. Um, but then down the track, um, I guess I kind of had the same sort of things happen at uni where I was the country kid, you know, my parents weren't doctors. Um, there was this, I always had this feeling that I wasn't 
good enough. I was an imposter. Um, but I was always really striving to do, to do my best and to do well. And during my final year of exams, I, um, I took on some extra projects and I, I had a supervisor who was, I guess, quite harsh and you know your kind of typical medicine doctor <laughs> that you see in the movies or you hear about the yep. you know the the supervisor or the consultant who's quite mean and you know critical um and the, 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 the dr cox off scrubs exactly exactly dr cox off scrubs and you know i think because of yep. my upbringing and where i'd come from i had this idea that i kind of had to prove people wrong or you know i I wouldn't give up. I always wanted to keep going. So when people were quite harsh to me or, you know, critical of me, I wanted to kind of work harder so that I could, I could get it right. And there was this kind of like, you know, most people have this breaking point, right? And I just kind of pushed through that breaking point to the point where I got really unwell. And um, one day I was at uni and I ended up collapsing and getting sent to ED and obviously this is like a small hospital or a smaller hospital than the city is you know you kind of work in the hospital that you get sent to if you're unwell um yeah and they ended up you know the doctors came around and they ended up telling me that were diagnosing me with um anorexia nervosa which you know I'd never even I don't know I'd never even thought that I there was you know I hadn't even thought about mental illness or psychiatry or anything. It just kind of didn't cross my mind. But going through that um, and then I guess I started to realise the importance of mental health and, and it was kind of the tipping point where at first when I was diagnosed, I just hated everyone and everything in psychiatry. <laughs> and, you know, I just wanted to run as far away as I could. But... Um, as I started kind of learning more and um, I had a really good mentor who was a psychiatrist and, you know, kind of showed me that you could do all these extracurricular things without having a consultant or a supervisor around you who kind of wanted to make you cry every day. And I realised that actually psychiatry was a really nice profession with really nice people and... Um, that actually you could do a lot of really good work in it and there was still so much unknown about mental illness and why things happened or how to how to fix them. Um, and so that kind of drove me into the, the psychiatry world. <laughs> um, bit of a long-winded story. Yeah, right. that, but... <laughs> no, sure. Has that personal experience been valuable for you as a psychiatrist? Yeah, I think... You know, I mean, I don't often, I don't really talk about it when I'm at work or when I'm with patients. And up until the Australian of the Year award, I hadn't ever actually spoken about it or, you know, revealed it. I was always really conscious because a lot of people would tell you that, you know, as a doctor, you can't have an illness and you can't let people know that you've been unwell because you'll be stigmatized and that, you know, people would say, especially in psychiatry, if you're somebody who has an illness, you know, you definitely shouldn't tell your colleagues because they'll judge you and all this sort of stuff. So I kept it 
quiet for a really long time. And then when I was awarded the Queensland Young Australian of the Year and they wanted me to tell my story and they do this filming and stuff, it's kind of, you know, they said the more human you can be, the better it is. And, you know, we want to inspire people. We want to, like, tell people how you got to this point. And um, that was kind of when I decided I would, I guess, open up a bit more. But it took... It was like a really difficult day doing that filming because um, you have to say your story over and over so they can film all different angles. <laughs> um, yeah, that was like probably yeah, right. the hardest because I'd never said it in public to begin with and then to be having to say it like 10 million times so they can film it <laughs> 10 different ways, you know, was um, a challenge. But I just sort of thought... You know, I'm doing all this work to support doctors and healthcare workers and I'm advocating that we should get help and I've now been given this platform. You know, I I need to I need to show people as well that it's okay to speak up. So yeah, I think in clinical practice it does help because I can often understand where people are coming from. Um so it probably helps me in terms of talking to the patients or, you know, understanding where they're coming from. But, you know, people still get upset and people still have the same reactions that I did and um, I can't really stop that. But I guess I can just be a bit more empathetic towards what they're going through. So, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that an interesting, interesting situation, though, that, you know, it took, it took becoming an Australian of the Year for you to feel confident enough to share a, that story. And, and you're in that, you know, I'm not, not judgment, you're in that space, you understand how important it is. And, and, and still it's hard. I mean, it just goes to show just how difficult it is for health professionals to actually admit um, any form of vulnerability really, isn't it? Yeah, I also thought the same, you know, I that it took something like that for me to actually open up was kind of astounding, even though we were doing all this work and, you know, we were trying so hard to provide this support service for healthcare workers. The fact that I couldn't open up about my own experience until something like that was just, you know, it, it's sad to think that there is so much stigma and, you know, I still, I guess, have people who probably think that I shouldn't have opened up or I shouldn't have told my story and, um, you know, and who still think that there are parts of my story or specifics and, you know, things that could be useful to other people that they still sort of think I shouldn't be saying or, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't know why our profession is so, has so much stigma towards, like, we you know, we make it so hard for each other to get help. I think it comes from the yeah. profession itself too. I don't feel, I don't know if it's, you know, the outside world telling us this. I feel like a lot of the time it's our own kind of colleagues who are, you know, making us feel like this. Yeah, and it's sort of, it's quite, it's interesting as well, like in this day and age, because it's quite, it's a sort of a silent culture um that even when you're an advocate for something you're still influenced by it and and out loud where everyone's saying vulnerability is a strength and you know we need to open up and you know it's easy to say all those things but then the actual when it comes to actually doing it as a doctor 
um, it's it's quite a different story, isn't it? It can be quite a different story. Yeah. So, Even just, I so, think, so, like, yeah. saying that you've been bullied, you know, for instance, you know, me saying how I had a supervisor who, you know, obviously in some way contributed to, you know, me becoming unwell. Even that is like, you know, people tell you that you shouldn't say that kind of stuff. Even just that one little piece of your story, yeah. you know, people think you shouldn't be talking about having, being bullied or, you know, all of this sort of stuff. You have to keep it secret. And I've even had friends who've, you know, had difficult supervisors or difficult experiences in the workplace and um, you know then they've sort of got advice from people who have said no you shouldn't speak up about this because it'll impact your career and you'll never get to do like yep. what you want to do yeah it's it, it's something that you know clearly needs to change I, I don't think I think it's interesting I don't think anyone um, disagrees that it needs to change it's just that we keep sort of feet walking in one direction and actions go in the other I mean, it probably, you know, I imagine it somehow impacted how you saw the need for the peer-to-peer -peer support. Um, so, so tell me about that. Tell us about hand-in-hand -hand peer support, you know, how you saw a need for that, um, that peer support within the profession um, and, 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 you know, what made you sort of take the step into to establishing it? I think one of the big things was when I was, you know, first really unwell, I felt incredibly alone and I guess in a way I was, well, you know, maybe intentionally, maybe not, but I was made to kind of feel like I was the only person who could kind of be going through something like this in medicine as a med student or a doctor. And, you know, I was completely isolated from my peers and, you know, given this kind of spiel that I wasn't going to be able to finish medicine. I wasn't going to be able to be a doctor. Um, and there was just no one around me really other than, you know, people that I got to know after this that kind of told me otherwise, you know. And so I really had to fight tooth and nail to, you know, just give it my all and give it a go against all odds. Um, and it wasn't till I actually finished medicine and, you know, was kind of out of that situation that I realized I most certainly wasn't the only person going through it. Like I wasn't the only person who had ever had an illness or a mental illness. And, you know, that same year we lost a GP in my hometown and, you know, being a small town, everyone knows the, the doctors and, you know, they've probably looked after you and your grandparents and your parents. Um, and, and one of the doctors in my hometown ended their life by suicide. And I think that was also a big kind of light bulb moment where I really sort of started to realize it wasn't that, you know, we were alone in this fight. It's just that people didn't talk about it and people, you know, there wasn't any sort of supports available for those of us who were going through it. And I had that in my mind for, you know, a few years and then was trying to sort of see what we could do you know to improve things for doctors and then when COVID came along and we were seeing what was happening overseas you know there were healthcare workers who were sleeping like on the hallways and you know there were senior doctors who uh, I think there was a senior doctor in New York who suicided um, 
that was when I kind of reached out to a few of my colleagues and mentors and said, you know, should we be doing something? Shouldn't we be doing something to support our colleagues out, the healthcare workers here, so that we don't end up with the same things happening? Um, and yeah, we looked around, you know, my colleagues were like, surely there's something. And I was like, well, I don't think there is, <laughs> you know. Um, and, you know, we, of course, realised there wasn't anything available for us. And, yeah, it kind of just, we put out this this idea on social media and, you know, had about 400 people kind of respond to us in 24 hours saying that it was a really good idea. Um, and it kind of just took off from there and has kind of had a life of its own since there. But, yeah, I guess... Um, I always thought that having something like that would have been really helpful for me and, and maybe it would have been helpful for, you know, my family GP at home who, you know, you never know, but just thinking whether something like this could have made a change to other people um, who we haven't been able to help or save in our, in our profession, I think was a big kind of Absolutely. driver. Absolutely. And, and how have you found, I mean, in terms of, um, you know, you've trained in medicine, but, but you know, scaling a, an organisation is quite different. I mean, how, how's that experience been for you? I think you realise it. an idea of some of the scale, like how many people have, have, have engaged and, um, yeah. I think you realise that you know nothing about, like, business or running an organisation or, like, I mean, you kind of have some leadership skills, but you know, the whole like business side of things or, you know, just, yeah, like forming an organization, all the logistics, my God, I, I had no idea. Like I, it's not something that I learned in med school or in school. Um, so I really had to yep. rely on other people to sort of help us, um, you know, people with more skills or more experience in that area to help us. Um, and lots of goodwill yeah. from people. So, um, you know, my tax accountant in Cairns, who's my dad's tax accountant, helped us like put together the paperwork initially for the non-for-profit. And, you know, I had cousins down here who do accounting and things who helped with the business kind of stuff because it's just, yeah, I had no, no clue. Um, but we've had, we've been really lucky that we've got an amazing group of volunteers who, you know, a lot of whom have been with us from the very beginning in 2020, you know, they volunteered to help, I guess, build hand in hand and, you know, get it to where it is now and, um, you know, kind of build the organisation. But then we've also had, you know, hundreds of people volunteer to actually sort of facilitate and run peer support groups, which is really important because obviously we need people to, you know, run the groups as well. Um, we've had hundreds of people sign up for peer support over the last few years um, as well. Uh, and so some of those have been getting peer support since we started, which is really lovely. Like they've continued this whole time. Some of them have had shorter bouts of peer support, you know, maybe for a like something that was a specific issue or, you know, during the few COVID lockdowns, some groups came to us specifically for that on how to manage. Um, but yeah, the response is just, it's been overwhelming and we've had, 
you know, I guess the social media is like one side, but we've also had like, a, you know, a lot of people kind of join us on our Facebook group chat, which is kind of like an open peer support group for anyone that's there. And yeah, it's, um, we did this um, workshop last week with kind of our core members. We've got about sort of 20 people who are, that have been there from the beginning sort of thing and, you know, have really helped the organisation grow. And we did um, a strategic planning kind of meeting last Saturday and we kind of like looked back at where we were this time last year and then like looked at what we've got to this year. And I think often you don't stop and think, you just, you're kind of just, well, I don't know, for me anyway, I'm just kind of running, always thinking of, you know, making sure that we're doing X, Y, Z, making sure that we're, you know, getting everyone the support they need, doing all that kind of hands-on stuff. And you don't often kind of sit back and look at what you've been able to do over that time. And it was really nice just for an hour to kind of sit down as a team and see how far we'd come and how much we'd been able to kind of, you know, hopefully how many people we'd been able to help over that time. And, um, you know, just coming from like three or four people who had this idea, um, you know, listening to little old me to where we are now, it's kind of, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's kind of like my, what does Kim call it? One of my colleagues calls it my brainchild. So it's kind of like looking at my own little, little child, like flourish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's, it's, it's more than that as I see. I mean, you've sort of created a movement of support, haven't you? Because it's, you know, people pitching in, you know, for, and I think that's something that's so strong within our profession is, you know, we all know we're struggling. Um, you know, I did some research recently and um, on a cohort of people, one and two were in burnout pre-COVID, we're up to two and three are in burnout now. Now, burnout is a very wide ranging term, which no doubt includes, you know, you know it's a spectrum and, and mental illness is gonna be, you know, a, a part of that um, spectrum. Um, but we're struggling, we're hurting as a profession. And, but, but the thing I find, what I find really heartening is even though we are hurting and um, two and three of us are, are struggling, um, there's a real feeling that people want to help, that people want this to change. Like there's a, the, the, there's a new generation of doctors coming through and not just a new generation, but there's, you know, the, like of all ages, you know, there's a new, there's a new cultural shift coming through. You know, we can't just tolerate this anymore. Don't you think? Yeah. Like we, we want to make a difference. I really feel like, you know, our generation and the generation of med students that are coming through, it's more now than just us talking about it and saying things need to change. I think we're all looking for ways to actually make the change happen because we're kind of sick of seeing this same thing repeated yep. over and over and over again. And, you know, that, you know, the Dr. Cox culture, you know, we've all encountered at least one of them yep. in our profession. I don't know how many Dr. Coxes I've encountered since being a med student and a doctor and we're all in the same boat. And I think, the difference is now that instead of just accepting it and kind of then thinking, oh, well, we'll treat our interns or our med students the same, is that we're thinking, no, this actually needs yeah. to change because it's having a massive impact on the health of our colleagues. And, you know, we, it's so like badly or underreported the number of like 
healthcare worker and doctor suicides. You know, you see it. I feel like when we're, you know, the, as doctors, we often see it, like how many people, you know, we see every time somebody ends their life, but it's like, I don't know if like the, you know, the rest of the world kind of acknowledges or even knows that this is an issue. Um, And you know, now it's, I guess, obviously become a bit more prominent in the media because of COVID and stuff. But even so, it still feels like the wider population doesn't realise like how much pressure or, you know, how much the healthcare workers of the world are actually struggling. You know, we're still sort of like fighting this battle to be heard. No, I, I don't. I don't think there's a lot of understanding at all. And I think if you, if you go pre-COVID, you know, one and two were in burnout, two and three now. Uh, I mean, there's never been a more difficult time to be a doctor. Not only you know with the increased stresses and pressures, you know, of, of actual of dealing with COVID, but there's never been a more hostile environment to be a doctor either. Yeah. Um, both online and, and offline, but particularly online. Yeah. Like you know and. And you can turn the other cheek and you can ignore it, but but it's just so constant that it just, you know, it's just kind of like chips, it's got to be chipping away at so many doctors. Um, And, you know, and making doctors question, I guess, themselves and the impact they have and and even what they're doing at times. Yeah. I mean, I've had friends recently who've taken time off medicine because they're just you know they're just like what are we doing there there are other careers out there that you know they see their friends and their family who are doing things other than medicine and who are happy and having a life and you know then we're kind of expected or you know there's this idea that we sacrifice everything for you know to be a doctor and it's just I don't think people are willing to do that anymore and it's just getting harder to to make those sacrifices especially with covid yeah i mean you're part of that next generation of doctors ushering in a change um and and you you know doing that through hand-in-hand peer support what what else what else do you think needs to happen um you know what else is important for us to shift this culture of medicine from one where you know, there's the the idea that I sacrifice everything for my my patients to more of an idea, I guess, of, you know, um, my patients are important and so am I, you know, uh, which comes first. Uh, It's kind of like the car or the oil, you need both. Yeah. Um, Like how, you know, what do you think needs to happen for that shift to happen? Yeah, it's like really complicated because I, we've, I guess I've been involved in like lots of chats where we've, tried to think about how we could start making these small sort of changes towards a bigger picture, you know, with the AMA and with hand in hand and doctor's health and all of that kind of stuff. And I think like providing the services is one part, you know, I think with hand in hand, our idea is that we're hoping to catch people early, you know, before they're really unwell, Mm -hmm. before they kind of fall off that cliff, you know, providing them peer support, in our eyes is a way to actually prevent people from getting to the point of burnout or, you know, getting really unwell. Obviously we also need the services at the bottom of the cliff to catch people who are unwell because not everyone's going to come 
to us yeah. or, you know, be able to get help early. But then there's also the kind of systemic issues, you know, like how do we get rid of bullying and discrimination and, you know, how do we start to actually like address those things in the workplace that chip away at you day in, day out and, you know, that even come sometimes will stop you from getting help because you just don't have time or don't, you know, don't have the energy to reach out. So there's that kind of, sure. you know, how do we address bullying and make it, I, you know, we're never going to get rid of it fully because it comes from all angles, but how do we kind of yeah. help with that? And I think a lot of the time, you know, especially at the moment where everyone is overworked and people are leaving and going to different states and, you know, every single health service is overworked and not enough there's not enough staff. Um, I think little things like how many times do you not get a lunch break? Like I know, you know, this week yeah. on two days, I wasn't going to get a lunch break because, or any break at all, because there's just so much demand. And I'm somebody who's not really good yeah. at standing up. And I think a lot of us aren't really good at sort of putting our foot down and being like, no, we need time to at least have you know a five second drink of water and have something to eat or mm. use the bathroom or whatever but you know I just feel like we need to be making that standard like it wouldn't be acceptable in any other job or any other profession to not have a break in like a nine or ten hour day or an eight hour day or whatever no. like it's just not okay no. um and you know, then no. actually, and even, and even with medicine, it's really only doctors exactly right. Because even with the medicine, it's really only doctors who do exactly. Like the nurses have got it sorted; they have lunch break <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and you know, there's this idea that there's not as many of us, and so we kind of hold the we have all these patients that we are responsible for, and you know, so we can't afford to take breaks, so we don't have time, but. It's like it's not sustainable. It's the it's part of the reason that everyone's starting to burn out because there's just we don't have the time to sort of breathe or have space to to think even, you know. And then you it leads to things like errors or clinical mistakes yeah. because you're not actually feeding yourself or sleeping or whatever it is. So I think simple things like that. I don't know how we change it, but you know, that should just be a given and getting paid for overtime, you know, lots, how many people don't get paid for overtime or, you know, work weekend shifts and don't get paid or, you know, work the on call the night before. And then yeah. as long as they're home within seven or eight hours or whatever, still come to work the next day. There's just like all these yeah, little yeah. things. I, that I think can... you're right. That, that... Yeah stack up don't they they yeah. stack up you, you're absolutely right with that i think there's that you know it's funny i remember when i was you know um working as a doctor and you could often tell the locum doctors because they were happy <laughs> because they were getting paid for the time they were still working longer hours but they're getting paid for all the hours that they are working and, and and just just that simple shift meant they didn't feel undervalued yeah. um and and you know it's but 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 it's making it, it's i guess that's it isn't it it's actually going actually you can say words are one thing, but actions are another. You've got to actually show doctors that they're valued. 
And how do you do that? You pay them for all the time that they're working. You actually, you know, mandatory breaks, things like that. Like there's some things you can do that are really, really simple. And then obviously even more upstream is, you know, we need more staffing. It's, it's very hard to create these conditions when you're chronically understaffed and working at 120% of capacity already, and then you throw COVID on top of it. So there, there, there are some things, but I mean, those are bigger changes, but, but simple changes like you're valued. Well, how would I show that you're valued? Well, I'll pay you and I'll give you lunch break. You know, it's really not that difficult. Yeah. And I think when you, you know, you just hit the nail on the head too. I think there's a lot of like, what's the word, kind of moral injury as well, because we are that sort of caring profession where we want to be able to help all of the people coming to us for help. And often at the moment, you know, the level for people to get to see us or the level to get care or the level to, you know, the weights for surgery and things like that are so long or we're not able to see people because the cutoffs are so much higher than they used to be that I think sometimes that also affects us because obviously there's not enough staff and um, we're trying to do the best job that we can or that we, you know, trying to do the best we can, but we know that we're not giving or doing the best job and it's not really our fault. It's more of like a systemic issue, but I think often we take it on as well. And then that also contributes to the whole not taking breaks, not, you know, not looking after ourselves yeah. as well. Um, there was a, I went to the Crazy Socks for Docs breakfast in Adelaide and yeah. one of the junior doctors there was saying that, you know, in the peak of COVID, um, their hospital decided that a, a good way to sort of thank people was to put bowls of fruit um, in the doctor's lounge or, you know, around the hospital, um, which, you know, they felt was really out of touch because yeah. all of the doctors were dressed in full PPE and, you know, weren't able to actually stop and eat something and, you know, it just showed like how out of touch the kind of management was compared to the people on the floor doing it tough. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's sort of, it's lip service to, to your value. I'll give you a free piece of fruit that you can't eat because it's covered in COVID as opposed to going, you're working longer. I'm just going to pay you for the time you're working. That would be the simple way to say you're valued, wouldn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. if there's doctors listening and and um, and, and they're struggling, um, or or doctors listening who um, who feel like they actually want to get involved with hand in hand and be a be a peer support, how would they go? How would each of those groups of doctors go or individuals go about doing that? Uh, so we have a website. You can just Google us, hand in hand peer support, um, and on there you can sign up to get peer support. Um, there's like a little you don't have to put in full details if you don't want to, but just like a name, what area of practice you're kind of in and what you're looking for. Um, and then the same goes for people who are wanting to volunteer. They can fill in the, you know, I want to be a facilitator um, form. Um, and they can also just email us. So I think our email address is on the um, website, but I can give it to you to put up on your, with the podcast as well. Um, so they can just send us an email and say, yep. look, we're interested in helping um if they don't really know how they want to help and we're always really keen to get more volunteers one of the 
big things I feel really bad about is that, you know, we rely so heavily on volunteers because we've traditionally been a, you know, a grassroots unfunded initiative. We are all doing this in our spare time, volunteering, um, you know, so I personally and our whole team, we really value all the volunteers that we get. Um, and I think, you know, down the track, if, if we were able to still be doing this and, you know, get, I guess, a bit more recognition or, or funding, you know, we'd love to be able to actually thank our volunteers and turn them from volunteers into, you know, actual kind of, you know, be giving them something in return. Because again, it falls back into that as healthcare workers or doctors, you know, we do so much that's volunteer or unpaid. And I don't know, I really want the people that are with our team to feel valued. And I love the culture that we have in hand in hand at the moment, because we all work so well together and we all look after each other. And we all are really grateful for the work that everyone does. Um, So I just want to make sure that we continue that and that we can, you know, really show our volunteers how much we appreciate the the work that they do oh no doubt no doubt because they're uh, i mean they're obviously you know they're the lifeblood of, of what you're doing and aren't they yeah um giving their time which is you know for, for doctors it's one of the, the most scarce resources they actually have exactly <laughs> yeah so i mean i like to finish with this question um but if you could go back in time and speak to your 18 year old self um, it's not as far back in time for you as it is for others of us. Um, um, what would you say are the three most important things? Uh, what are the three most important pieces of advice that you would give young young Tane? <laughs> um, it's a good question. I think 18-year-old me was, well, it was pretty similar to me, but I think was just a lot more unconfident and like a lot more self-doubting and probably felt like she didn't really belong in the university or medicine world I think I would probably just tell her to have more confidence in herself to stop thinking that you know she has to get a hundred percent in an exam in order to be worthy (laughs) you know you don't have to everyone always used to tell me please get degrees and I didn't ever believe that but I really I, I mean, I know you have to do your best, but I, I just think you don't have to kill yourself over it. Um, I think I would also tell her to have a bit more fun. I think it's really important for us, especially as doctors, that, you know, I don't know, in uni, I thought uni was like the be-all, end-all, and I thought med school was like make or break, and I had to do well or, you know, was the end of the world. And then once I did well at uni or whatever then I was free. It was all, it was all uphill from there, but no one really, if you don't come from a medical background or, you know, people don't really tell you that actually it only gets harder once you graduate (laughs) and and actually get to being a doctor. Um, and that actually uni and high school is probably like, you know, the time where you can have more fun. And so I definitely would have told myself to, make the most of those years because now a few years down the track from finishing uni and I feel like I didn't make the most of my kind of uni life. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. To go back in time and just say, hey, uh, in the future you're going to have to do the same amount of study 
but also work 60 hours a week. Exactly. So, so you've got it pretty good. Like, actually, enjoy it. Enjoy enjoy it. Like, And isn't that something so often in life? You've actually just got to go, actually, I've got it pretty good. Um, <laughs> And you can, and that, and that's kind of the way to enjoy it. And was there, was, is there one more thing, or was it, we just gonna, we're gonna two, we're gonna go for three. Uh, you can just have two if you want. I, I mean, think you I, can. I, uh, yeah, I think that's my main thing, is you know. I like it. Yeah, and I would probably. I, I think that's good. Young Tani would have been like, I have to get three out of three. Two out of three is totally fine for all the time. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever. No big deal. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Look, well, I mean, the thing is, you've talked about imposter syndrome. You've talked about not being enough. Um, I mean, all right, Young Australian of the Year. Um, at some point, you're going to have to put that one to rest, I think. And maybe Australian of the Year could be that, that turning point, that inflection point for you. What do you think? <laughs> oh, I think... Or, 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 by next, or by next year, will you be like, oh, it's only Young Australian of the Year? <laughs> It's still Australian of the year again. I, I mean, it's, it, it, I, I, say, I say that jokingly, but this is the funny thing about, you know, with doctors and like, you know, the fact that anyone even gets into medical school, that, you know, you've got to be the absolute top of your game to get in, you know, just getting through medical school, you know, whatever training program you do or don't get onto, like we're in this little microcosm of a world where uh, you know and for training programs as well we're competing against the best of the best and so you know some training programs you know got a 30 percent getting you know um admission you know you get your pass rates or whatever for you know part ones or whatever it is but the reality is 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 this is within the top one of one percent you know so so it's really important i think just to iterate that to, to doctors that, that 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 you're already in the you're already in the absolute top in terms of academics in terms of a socially conscious career um, in terms of what you give and put in, like, you know, there is, there is nothing beyond it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, I agree. I think actually one of the other things I would say is hang out with like your family and people who aren't in medicine. Cause I think sometimes we get caught up in the bubble of medicine and, you know, all you're doing is talking medicine and exams and study and, you know, you just get sucked into this world that is only medicine. And I think sometimes it's so important to have people outside of this world to be like, oh yeah, actually medicine is strange. And like, there are other yeah. things out there and there is a whole world out there, you know, that other yeah. people live in that we seem to forget about. Yeah, yeah. doctors are, are a weird bunch with a dark sense of humor. Have you say, have you noticed the magic phenomenon, the phenomenon of, of the three doctor phenomenon? Like two doctors within a group, you can still talk about normal. As soon as you get to three doctors, all that, all that, all you'll do is talk about medicine. It's like the, it's like a tipping point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that's that's great advice. Um, there's a whole world outside of it, even though it feels like a whole world because you know as doctors we spend a lot of time, we put so much into it. Um, and and finally, Tani, I mean you've got a long way to go, you've got a lot to give, no doubt. But but how do you want to be remembered? How do you want people to to think of you? I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. I always think that I like to be someone who's like ready to help other people, whether they're friends or colleagues or, you know, even 
people that I might not know. So I think I, you know, it's something that's important to me being a helpful, caring person. So I think that's probably how I'd like to be remembered. <laughs> Just probably very like I, medicine. I think you're right. You're doing that on. <laughs> you know, not. But well, you're doing that on a grand scale. I mean, I mean, you know, with with founding hand in hand peer support. You, I mean, you, you, it's a way to take, you know, you know that that one to one helping people to actually help help to enable other people to help people because I think there's a lot of people in medicine like you who we just want to help, just want to help our colleagues out, and I think you know that's one of the special things about our profession is that collegiality, and, and you know we're we're a gang and we're pretty tight, um, and I think there's something pretty you know you meet another doctor and you've and got an instant connection you don't have to talk about it. But we've all been through similar things. We've all made good decisions and saved lives, and but we've also all made bad decisions as well that have harmed people and cost lives, and made decisions that have, we, you know, we've, we've not been able to sleep over. You know, we've been through all that. We don't have to talk about it because the moment you say you're a doctor, it's like I get you, and I think that's part of why you know your hand in hand peer support is so important. You know, a team of life coaches is not what we need. What we need is doctors helping doctors, and, and I think that's why what you're doing is so meaningful and um and, and so special so um look well thank you so much it's been I, i've loved talking to you um and you know there's a few things that really stood out for me i think you know having the courage um and, and actually acknowledging that it takes how much courage it takes to stand up and speak out um and admit you know fallibility you know that you know that challenge i wouldn't you shouldn't even call it that but just admit that you know mental health or, or, or your own or own challenges. I think it's really important for anyone listening. I think the other piece that, that really hit home for me is just how how not alone anyone going through this is. Um, and I think your hand in hand peer support is just such a great organization to, to help people realize that. Um, and then the other piece that really um, hit home for me, I think is, is in terms of how we drive change is just this this concept of, of, of making, you know, putting making sure that doctors and healthcare workers feel valued and then actually making sure our actions as you know, our systemic actions um, go hand in hand with that. Um, uh, because I think, you know, that, that you, those are some really important points. So look, I just, I really enjoyed talking to you. I think, you know, congratulations on, on what you've started. I'm sure it's only just beginning. Um, and uh, look, I just wish you all the very best. I'm sure any doctor listening, has got a lot of value out of it. I mean, maybe they'll be going to head to, to the website um, and, and, and being, you know, giving that support or, or, or receiving that support and, and both are equally as important. So thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate it.